available in more homes than the Pac-12 Network. We are the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online. And here he goes, Miles Jack! And I'm Ryan Abraham from USCFootball.com. Liner, gonna try to sneak it ahead. Touchdown, SC! We are the Podcast of Champions. Welcome, everyone, back to the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network. And I'm Ryan Abraham from uscfootball.com, the USC site on the 24-7 Sports Network. And together we make the podcast of champions talking all things Pac-12 football. We got a packed show for you today. Lots of topics to get to, lots of questions to get to. Our great listeners out there flooding the email box uh, for us, the inbox. Uh, I am unfortunately on the road. I don't have any of our sound today, David, but we'll have to do without it. But uh, I would love to be playing the uh, talk with the audience one because we have a lot of talking to the audience going to happen today. So much talking to the audience, perhaps too much, frankly. <laughs> so we get the intern to read the questions last week, and it was like the shortest mail, you know, smallest mailbox, shortest questions ever. That's not the case this week. Um, so, yeah, so Bree, we, we need to Bree back, but I'm on the road, so we can't do that. Uh, if you want to get a hold of us and you want to flood that email box a little bit more, pack12podcast at gmail.com, or if you'd rather call or text us, 424 424- Five three two zero six seven eight is the number. You can also tweet us at Pac-12 Podcast. The website is Pac12Podcast.com. On the Reddit page, go to Podcast of Champions. And then also, please subscribe and rate us. Five stars are awesome. We do appreciate that very much. It helps grow the show. And we keep growing uh, every week, even though we're in a pandemic. And exponential, no exponential growth. I don't know about exponential growth. Well, we started with one a week ago, and I think we have two now. Okay. <laughs> that would be actually <laughs> do we have any uh new reviews i don't know if you've pulled those we up do. or not we do are you ready for them sure yes this is from the king of swing 69 five stars love it the marty and michael podcast rocks makes me laugh five stars all day whoops wrong podcast well that's disappointing uh I'll still give you five stars anyway. Dan and Robert are hilarious, especially in these tough times. Nick from Eugene and Sco Ducks. Sco Ducks, nice. And then uh, uh, five stars from Free Taiwan two two eight. Subject line: Taiwan Independence. Three exclamation points. Sub uh, description: Taiwan Independence. Thanks. Love you guys. Love it. it. Doesn't, we're doesn't we're, like we're all about free billboard advertising. That's what we yeah. do here. I, it doesn't seem like they were reviewing our podcast at all. I'm fine with it. They said, love you guys. I think that's a review. But you know what's really important, David? They left us five stars, so it didn't break the rules. The most important thing. <laughs> we will read pretty much – I mean, I scan them a little bit before I read them. But we will read pretty much anything you say that isn't hate speech in one of these reviews. Yeah. As long as you give us five stars. Should I, I feel like I need to get an iPhone. You know, like I like I've always liked Android. I like my Google phone, but I can't read the, the reviews unless I have my iPad with me, which I don't have. It's in the office. So I, I, I don't know. Should I switch? I'm, what, I'm, what? I'm sorry that you have not cracked the code on finding this through a web browser, but I am not going to be the person who leads you to that. I've, you can do it. It's just not. A, it's way easier to do it 
if you're on an Apple device and you can see the stuff, but it's true. But you can you can see all of the reviews a lot quicker on a computer. So that's what I would recommend. That's okay. my little recommendation to you, the co-host. Nice. All right. Well, maybe I'll check that out. Well, okay. So the title of the show today um, is sort of broke. Was it? I think it was almost a week ago now. Uh, that you know the Pac-12 teaming up with a company called Cadell. Cadell. Uh, they're going to be able to offer conference-wide, daily, rapid results testing for COVID-19. So what that would do is basically you could test all the athletes every day. You would know before they got into their meetings or went to the practice field if they had it or not. Huge as far as limiting the spread. You won't have asymptomatic people coming to practice and spreading around to a bunch of other people that could be asymptomatic and spread around to more people and bring it to the community and all that kind of stuff. So certainly limit um, the, you know, the, the community, the danger of the community of having players out on the practice field, and specifically for two states right now, David, can't practice California and Oregon. Um, but, you know, and it would also help with the research side to track the course of the infection uh, in positive cases and, and learn about the behavior of the virus in asymptomatic cases, which, again, would be a benefit to all community. So Larry Scott was extremely excited to talk about this. Uh, it was, you know, the first of the conferences to have anything like this. And I, you know, another thing I think that the conference has handled well, um, you know, certainly positive news. He went on a, he had a, you know, one-on-one uh, interview with 24 seven sports. He's gone on all kinds of radio shows, Dan Patrick, all those kind of stuff. Uh, what did you make of all this? And do you feel like this can be the game changer that they're really touting that it could be? Yeah, I mean, it sort of tracks along with the science that uh, one of the main things you've got to do is test, 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 and test in a useful way where you get results back quickly. Um, that's kind of the uh, one of the gold standard things that will need to get life back to normal. So it passes my smell test that this is something that could get sports back to normal in, in micro. Um, so I think it's a really good thing, um, and it sounds as if... Um, it's going to be a factor in potentially starting football earlier than we were anticipating, you know, potentially starting this. It sounds like it's even possible. It could happen before January 1st, but at the very least happening pretty much as soon as January hits. Um, now we'll see because as much as you test still, the, the surrounding pandemic is going to dictate a lot. California's decisions are going to dictate a lot. And if we see an uptick in cases again, I mean, it looks like we're on a, another downward slope um, from the second peak. But if we see another uptick um, on the West Coast uh, over the you know coming flu season, then that might change the story a little bit. But as of now, um, certainly more optimistic to get football in a reasonable time frame, uh, thanks to this news. Yeah, Larry Scott was saying like you know he was really optimistic that you could start football by January, which would mean you're having camp, you know, late November, uh, you know, through December. But there was also the possibility of having, you know, a th- you know, post Thanksgiving season. So again, I don't think it would be in time to join the party uh, of the college football playoff unless, you know, the, the big, th- you know, the power three conferences that are you know starting actually tonight, uh, we're recording this on Thursday. I think it's Miami Syracuse tonight. Uh, like on ACC Network opposite Deshaun Watson versus uh, Patrick Mahomes. So I don't think anyone's going to watch that. But to technically, Power 5 football starts tonight, um, unless I, they get delayed I, somehow. Yeah, I don't believe it will. 
You don't think about what, <laughs> but like so. So you're talking about not making the playoff, but I think it's still meaningful to be able to play college football. It's a throwaway year as far as eligibility goes. It's not like you play football and it hurts anyone's eligibility. You would get some of those players that we're going to get the guys that are opting out that are you know pretty surefire NFL kind of guys. There's a lot of people that need to prove themselves. You know, the Joe Burrow last year would not have been drafted if he didn't get to play. So I feel like it's important to get these kids an opportunity to play if you can do it safely. I think this the rapid testing, the daily testing uh, seems to be able to do that. But for even Larry Scott to be like, hey, man, we can we feel we can definitely play in January and we might even be able to do it sooner. I think that's all positive. I think, it's a, you know, it's a positive step. And I like the way the Pac-12 is doing it, saying like they're taking a very measured approach. The Big Ten is still a mess. I mean, the, the rumors that they could start in October just don't seem to make any sense at all. I don't know. I, I feel like at the end of the day, the Pac-12 and the Big Ten will link up. But. I don't know if it's just for for show or whatever, but the Big Ten's got people like, you know, you got politicians involved. There's lawsuits. There's all kinds of crazy stuff going on over there. Yeah, people there apparently really, really care about this. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think uh, they will eventually link up. Um, I, I maybe that'll require the Pac-12 bending and going a little bit earlier. Maybe it'll require the Big Ten, you know, actually coming out with some sort of definitive word. Certainly sounds as if the Big Ten is trying to get this done for the fall. Um, I I do not buy the October stuff, but potentially November or December. Um, that is a more interesting prospect for the Big Ten uh, due to obvious weather stuff, but certainly not um, insurmountable. I mean, there's a lot of domed stadiums in the area. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, it's um, certainly looking more optimistic for getting um, – a reasonable season in for both leagues. You know, it wasn't, it was a month ago that the big 10 and PAC 12 more or less uh, announced that they were postponing. And at that time it looked like, well, hell they might not play at all until next fall. Um, and who knows this thing has changed so often over the last several months that it might very well look like that again in one month's time. But right now it looks like, okay, it's reasonable to consider this um, actually happening. Um, sometime in the next couple of months kicking off. Um, and that's yeah. that's exciting news um, because, I mean, watching – well, not watching, actually. Um, hearing that there were college football games this past weekend um, and knowing that there were zero games that I cared about was uh, distressing. Um, and so if I can, um, you know uh, – distance my mind from everything else going on in the world and just say, man, it sucks that the Pac-12 isn't playing football right now. This is better news, right? Because it sounds like they yeah. will. And uh, then I'll have games to watch because I exclusively watch Pac-12 football. I don't watch anything else at all. I like to watch all football, so I'm, but I'm going to definitely watch the NFL oh, tonight. Oh, you, you must have loved that Navy-BYU game. I watched part of it. Uh, unfortunately, Why? it was already like... Because well, I wanted to see some college football, more of just to see like what it looks and feels like without fans. I watched, I watched like the stuff. pregame stuff, and the stadium was like it was unnerving. It was like watching, you know, you ever play like college football video games and stuff, and yeah, they yeah. do like the the the, the like pregame show and whatever, and it's always like an empty stadium, like they don't like generate all the fans. That's what it felt like. Just yeah. it feels really weird watching. It feels like a simulation. Yeah. 
Uh, well, also, uh, I don't know if you got our, the great John Canzano. You know, he does his radio show every week up in, in Oregon, and uh, he had Dr. Doug Ackerman on. So he's like a senior associate athletic director at Oregon State, but also an expert in all this stuff. He's the, I think, the head of their medical committee on for the COVID response team. Or I, I forget what the exact title is, something like that. But it's a really good interview. He's, it's up on his podcast. You can listen to that. But um, the main takeaway from hearing what he had to say was that there was a lot of optimism in the state of Oregon that this rapid testing um, would allow you know, the government in Oregon to say, okay, you can practice now. Because the whole point is half of the Pac-12 can't have a regular practice as of right now. You know, Stanford, uh, they had the weird rule where, you know, you couldn't snap the ball to the center. Um, you know, in California, you can't, I mean, in LA County, you can't lift a weight indoors. Like there's all these things that are going on that are not allowing these teams to practice. And, you know, the main one being you can't have gatherings of more than, at least 12 people, I think, in California. But uh, Dr. Ackerman was saying that, you know, he was optimistic that this rapid testing would allow them to be able to practice. And other places, too, where you say, OK, well, you could practice in California as well. We don't know that for sure. But that's the first step to if you want to play in, you know, after uh, the first of the year or you want to play after Thanksgiving, these teams have to be able to practice. And I know things are starting to open up in different uh, counties in California. L.A. County is still pretty locked down. I saw commercials for, and I tweeted about this, Dave. I don't know if you saw, like, commercials for movies. Like, people said, go to the movie theater. I'm like, wait, you can go to the movie theater? Like, we can't even eat inside right now. No, no, that's, it, that's not the take from that. Come on. The take is, what, but, why the hell is anyone going to a movie right now? <laughs> like, okay, so, like, how, wherever you are on the spectrum of, like, covid being a serious thing or not why the hell would you go to like an enclosed space enclosed space with like poor like lighting you can't see what you're touching and poor ventilation like it's stuffy it's like why would you do that why yeah i, I wasn't a big movie theater guy to begin with but like yeah i'm not be going now but i was just shocked to see those commercials um, but it just shows that different counties, different states, obviously they're, they're opening. But even in California, I mean, I've had people tweet me like in San Diego, they went to a movie. And so it depends which county you're in. But the, the thing will be, I got off topic there because that's what we do on the show. Um, would California and would Oregon be able to practice because of this rapid testing? And at least uh, according to Dr. Ackerman, it, on the Oregon side, it seems like that would open things up. And it, you're hopeful that it would in California, too. And then once everyone could practice then you could potentially have a fall camp and then you could start the season but until all the teams were allowed to practice it wasn't going to be possible yeah and if you get aggressive enough with the potential schedule and they do and you know say the pac-12 and the big 10 are able to start play in november who knows um it opens up possibilities to link up again with uh, the other leagues and potentially participate in the college football playoff. I thought Stu Mandel had a good kind of column with, you know, it's a moonshot at this point because it's still not a guarantee that a lot of these states are going to open or that they're going to remain open. Uh, but as it stands, um, there's a sliver of a possibility that they could line up enough that the college football playoff, you know, kicks things back another week or two um, to allow for um, the other leagues to get enough games in to participate. I thought that was interesting, too. And, I, you know, 
I, and again, I think I like the way I've heard the Pac-12 sort of talk about this is you would like to get a season in. If you don't make the, you know, if you're not going to be in the playoff race, that's fine. Like who, you know, Oregon, I guess would have a shot at it this year, but they've, we're going to talk about some of the guys they've had opt out. I, I don't know if the Pac-12 has a legit contender as of this moment, um, but you know, who knows? It's that's why you have the playoffs and you play the games and it might happen. I get the big 10 kind of complaining more because Ohio state was going to be the number two ranked team in the country. Um, but for me, I would like to see a season. I do think there's some fans are just like, what does it matter? It's not important. Like, I think it's important. I think it's important to players and fans. I think it's important, but also if you're with, you know, the big 10 and you have your partner and you get to play the Rose Bowl and you get some other bowl games that you just, you know, the number two from each squad side, the number three from each side. It'd be kind of fun. It's like with those preseason, like, what was it, the, like the Big East ACC Challenge or whatever, things like that. It's sort of like a postseason version of of that, but a seated one, a ranked one. And, you know, with the number one game being the, the Rose Bowl. And uh, because the eligibility doesn't matter, all the players get an extra year, you know, it's it's free football. And then you probably don't have to do spring practice because you're going to have been playing into you know, February or March or whatever. So I, I love this. Uh, I wish the, the Big Ten would sort of just kind of back off things. But go for it. You know, go as fast as you can safely and see what happens. When can you start? Maybe it's not till January 1st. But even then, you're done in March. That's great. If you get to start after Thanksgiving, that's even better, you know. And, and maybe, like you said, what Stuart Mandel's column, you line up and they delay the playoff for a couple of weeks and you get in there or potentially get in there. Uh, you make All-American teams, all, all those kind of things. Um, I think are, you know, are, are positive. So I, I, I don't get the people that are saying like, oh, whatever, what, what even have a season now? It's, it's so weird. It just seems like this defeatist attitude where I get it. It's a pandemic. Like this, this shit's crazy. Like we've never seen anything like this before. If you can make it work somehow, make it work. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, I would say there's, an element where part of the season does feel maybe a little bit illegitimate just because so many guys have opted out um, where, and we'll talk about the guys in Pac-12, but um, even just throughout the other leagues, I mean, LSU had, I don't know how many other star players just opt out of the season. Uh, Kennedy Brooks from Oklahoma opted out for the season. Like there's a lot of guys from all these different leagues where I, I get from like a particular fan of a school standpoint, you feel like oh, this season's now illegitimate. Like, if an Oregon fan is like, oh, this sucks now. Like, I'm going to I'm gonna watch this season, but I'm going to constantly have in the back of my head how much better they could have been if none of this had happened. And I get that. I think there's going to be, um, however this season plays out, there's going to be this melancholy uh, feeling around it, and particularly if you're a diehard fan of a particular team that had a chance to be really good this year. And that's not to say Oregon or LSU or Oklahoma or whoever isn't going to be really good this year or doesn't still have a chance to be really good this year. Um, but I get that. Like, I understand why that might be – that might make it – you might not be as amped up for a season as you would have been otherwise. And, I, I mean, totally. Yeah. It's it's a weird, weird situation. But I think you're dead on. I think for the kids um, – mostly just for them, um, but also for fans, you know, people who – there is like a societal morale thing that I think comes from being able to watch things that, you know, you really enjoy. And a lot of people really enjoy the everything about college football, the community feel of it, but also just the sport itself. And I think there is value to that. Now, does it come – is there enough value with that to, um, you know, 
compensate for potential, you know, issues with it. Like, you know, if it does contribute to increasing cases or whatever, I don't think so. But it seems like that decision is getting made way above our pay grade. So uh, from this standpoint, um, I do think it's potentially a, a, a good thing for the kids to actually get to do this and for fans to have something to watch and enjoy. So, yeah, I mean... I understand if it gets a little bit weird and it sucks that it's not the season that everyone thought it was going to be, but it's football. It's football. We love football. And there's some positivity of having some more football. Now, we don't know. I, I mean, obviously, if the season comes crashing down for all the teams that are playing now, that's all out the window, right? We're assuming that the ACC, the SEC, the Big 12, they go forward, they're playing football, and then, it, you know, sort of proves out the concept and you have the rapid testing and you feel better about playing. So then you go ahead and can play if you're the PAC 12 and the big 10. Um, this is sort of like week two, but there still really hasn't been any legit games yet tonight. You know, they have a, a, UAB, a game Miami. With Miami. It's UAB. It's not Syracuse UAB Miami. Um, and it's on the ACC network this weekend. There's several games that were postponed uh, I think there's teams like Rice that haven't really been able to practice much. So there's going to be – it's not going to be smooth. There's going to be some hiccups. Maybe none of the SEC teams have hiccups, but there's going to be other teams that do. And for the ACC and the Big 12 that are playing an out-of-conference game, that's going to be impacted. You might lose your out-of-conference game because you're playing this team that probably doesn't have the resources that your conference does and um, can't do certain things. You know, Rice is – you know, they couldn't even practice very much. Um, there's, you know, it was a Tulane that had, uh, because of the hurricane, it displaced all the players that were like on campus in their like little bubble thing. They all go spread out and a whole bunch of them catch COVID and then they come back and there's like 38 people on the team that have COVID. Yeah. So like in, a, in an indirect way, like the hurricane kind of caused the problem there. Um, so there's going to be some hiccups, but now that we're going to start to see power five teams play, what hiccups are they going to see what if it's a big difference between like rice has a problem or Notre Dame has a problem. Uh, and Notre Dame's hosting Duke, um, this year. So, I mean, this weekend. So will you watch those? You're going to watch some of those and just to see how it, how it works. I doubt I'm going to watch a second of college football until the back 12 <laughs> starts playing. Like not even kidding. Like I just, I don't have much interest. Um, uh, it's, yeah, I mean, the times I've, like, tuned into like, an SEC game or an ACC game in the last, like, three years, I, you can probably fit it on the head of a pin. I mean, it's mostly, like, the early games on a Saturday where it's just, like, something to have on. But I got small kids. I'm not going to waste time doing that. Um, the other thing that I thought was interesting is even if the Pac-12 was trying to play right now, there's a good chance a lot of the teams wouldn't be able to. Stanford and Cal probably wouldn't be able to practice. The Oregon schools probably wouldn't be able to practice. I don't know what's going on up in Washington as far as the fires, but throughout basically the entire West Coast right now, you'd have a lot of game cancellations for just this weekend alone um, yeah. because it's 2020 and we live in a dystopia. Um, and it's very <laughs> cool. Um, but I mean, the sky looks like it now. Like the, the, the sky here on the West Coast looks like it's dystopia it looks like yeah, this, well, yeah it's like and, mad max is going to pull up <laughs> well and that's the thing is you're talking about the Tulane and the hurricane causing a lot of these indirect things well if you know if the Oregon players were on campus right now and they had to get evacuated out of the dorms or whatever uh what would that lead to 
suddenly no longer yeah. a controlled environment. Now they have to, you know, be out in the wild. So, yeah, it could have easily happened. The Pac-12, I think, had, you know, they 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 made their decision, um, a conservative decision to delay the whole thing, and it's, you know, kept them from that. But there's no discounting the fact that that could happen at any point. I mean, fire season now in on the West Coast lasts through, like, November. So, yeah, I mean, there's always a possibility that something weird happens. So... It'll be there a fun season. It's going to be a really weird season. For sure. Um, I was listening to Canzano, too, and they, they said the, the air quality around Eugene was, like, the worst in the world. It was, like, yesterday, I believe, like, on Wednesday. Um, essentially, and then they said that if a Oregon-Ohio State, which was supposed to be this weekend, would have been canceled anyway. Like, they, would, they wouldn't have been played, even if it wasn't for the pandemic, just because of the fire. So that's yeah. peak 2020. Um. Peak 2020 right there, man. It's like hard to believe that 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 would be going on. But there we are. Um, John Wilner also had uh, an interview with uh, Michael Schill. So the president of the University of Oregon, he's the uh, the chair of the CEO group uh, for the Pac-12. So all the the uh, presidents and chancellors of the uh, Pac-12 schools. Um, the, so he sent them. It wasn't like a sit down interview. It was a like a email interview. Uh, but there was some interesting stuff that came out. I mean, go check it out. Go check out the you know John Wilner's hotline. Um, but there was more talk, like asking about like the future of the Pac-12, and it seemed like he was open to uh, the idea that it could change from you know like a conference slash media company to back to a conference again. Uh, and the quote was, "He you know they need to find partners uh, that would add to the value of our content." So they seem to be open to that. Um, they weren't com- he wasn't commenting about Larry Scott's contract at all. That's going to come up at some point, but um, I think they're aware uh, that there's some issues there. But um, I don't know. Go check that out from John Winner's Q&A. But uh, it's, you know, we're going to know more in the next couple of years for sure about the future of this conference. And they, they have to make some changes because you can't just keep going the way you're going. Partner up with ESPN, Fox, whatever it is. Dump like the six uh regional networks just have a pac-12 network whatever you got to do it's not working in this situation you got to fix it and you know i I know it's great to show 800 live uh, events a year but that doesn't make you any money and there's you know probably no point in it now yeah well and a lot of that stuff can just be handled via like live streaming by the whatever the school's media department or whatever um i mean that would the same 500 people are going to watch it whether it's on a computer live stream or on the tv so you don't yeah you don't need to do that um yeah yeah uh we've alluded to it several times but a bunch of guys have opted out uh for the season uh Oregon has been hit maybe the most notably with Thomas Graham Penny Sewell and Diamador Lenore which is the first time I've pronounced his last name correctly on this show maybe the last time I say his name on this show Lenore not Lenoir I want to say Lenoir every time you know it you know that about me <laughs> <laughs> but I said it correctly this time. Uh, they have decided to opt out. They're going to the NFL draft. Um, Graham and Lenore, uh, obviously defensive backs out of that vaunted secondary. Uh, Sewell may be the best offensive lineman in the country. Uh, not great for Oregon. Uh, they've certainly recruited well and, and should be able to replace them in time. Uh, but not great for um, you know the top end potential of that team this year um, if and when a season gets played. USC, Elijah Barrett Tucker, offensive lineman, he opted out. Uh, that's a big blow to an offensive line that was, you know, trying to piece things together uh, for this year. 
And then Cal lost uh, fifth-year senior uh, cornerback Cam Bynum, who also opted out uh, for the NFL draft um, out of that vaunted secondary. Um, just now, I believe this news just came out that Walker Little from Stanford has also opted out. Oh, I didn't see that one yet. Okay. Yep. Um, so real uh, significant amount of opt-outs now. Um Transfers didn't hit that hard in the Pac-12. They hit a little bit, but they didn't hit that hard. But the opt-outs are a big deal. Um, they're happening all over. Um, I don't know if many of them, if many players have opted out just specifically for COVID. Uh, that was happening a little bit earlier on in, in the summer, but I don't think that's happening anymore. Uh, but a lot of these guys are opting out for the NFL. I don't blame them, but it is going to lead uh, to a lessened season in a lot of respects. Yeah. Uh, One notable transfer, just because we talked about it before, Cassidy Woods, the receiver from Washington State. He had that, that, you know, scrutinized phone call with uh, Nick Rolovich. Well, he's in the transfer portal now. So that relationship didn't start off on a good note. So it it makes sense that it would end. But if you're in the position where you're recording your head coach on a phone call, whatever (laughs) your like, whatever the legitimacy of your beef, and I think he may have had one, uh, that's not the that's not the beginning of a trusting and long lasting relationship. No, not so much. Um, but for the for the opt outs, I, I, it was weird. So Penny Sewell was this week. I for some reason I thought he had already opted out or just maybe assumed he was going to. Uh, but it's, you know that's a big pretty big blow to the Oregon secondary. Um, like Thomas Graham started since he was a freshman there. Um, for USC, Elijah Vera Tucker is. Certainly their best offensive lineman. He was a, a, a left guard last year that was PFF just, I mean, they loved him. Like they kept grading him out as like the highest, you know, the top guard in the Pac-12 and one of the best in the country. And USC didn't have really a replacement at left tackle. So they were going to move him out there. So he was going to be playing out of position anyway, but certainly their best guy. Now they're, it's basically like two holes. You lost your left guard and your left tackle uh, if you're USC. So there's going to be some issues there. And, uh, you know, Cal's defensive stuff, but, you know, Cam Bynum was a, was a real good player, too. I think he's graduating, um, and uh, he could potentially play somewhere else right away. So curious if he goes someplace that's actually playing, because he's, uh, I believe he's a grad transfer. Yep. Well, uh, good luck to all of them. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I think that's about anything else you wanted to discuss. Are you Are you, are you not watching because... You said there wasn't going to be college football. Oh, I wish. Uh, no, I just don't care. <laughs> really? How so, do you not like, care? Uh, n- no kidding. If Washington State was playing Idaho tomorrow, I would be in front of that TV in a heartbeat. Like, it's just, I don't, I do not. So the thing is, like, there are some people who are just fans of sport. And there are some people who are, like, fans of a team or a league. I care about the dynamics of the Pac-12. I don't care to watch Navy play BYU. Like, I just don't care. Even if it was a big game, even if it was a good game, I don't care. Like, I can name, like, four of their players, tops. I don't know what schemes they run. I could maybe name one of their coaches, I think. But other than that, I just don't care. Um, And so it's just... uh, Like, everyone getting off on watching Central Arkansas... Was that Central Arkansas UAB? A couple weeks ago or last week uh it might have been S- south alabama maybe central whatever or no no but like i forget what it was how are you watching that come on 
Like, or the weekend games, it was like, South. It, that was where South Alabama was playing. The weekend games of just absolute dog crap. And it's just like, I, no, I don't love college football that much. I love watching the Pac-12. I like watching UCLA. I like watching the teams I know and the people I know. I don't, I don't want to watch some crap-ass league, you know, a bunch of players suck. That's not fun. All right. Well, I just like watching football, so. But, I, I mean, I like the NFL. I like, you know, I play some fantasy but I like to watch football, so I'm a big fan of that. So I'll, I'll try to watch. I won't watch the Thursday game because I'm going to watch NFL, but I'll try to catch some this weekend, and yeah. uh, we'll see how that goes. Yeah, I guess. Um, I guess. Well, why don't, I guess we could take a break and then uh, come back and do questions. That sounds like a splendid idea, one I wholeheartedly co-sign. Should I make the noise? Yeah, you make the noise. All right. <laughs> Well, Ryan, we've arrived at the middle of our show. It's we are times. here. Exciting for everybody out there in uh, listener land. And we've got some exciting stuff to talk to you about. Not you, Ryan, but you, the listener. Because winning season returns at my bookie. Winning season means doubling your first deposit. Winning season means survivor, super contests, and squares. At my bookie, it's time to celebrate the NFL season with some extra cash in your pocket. Yeah, Dave, sign up now and get your first deposit matched, dollar for dollar, all the way up to a thousand bucks. And while you're at it, grab yourself an entry into the famed My Bookie Super Contest. What is the Super Contest? How do you play? It's simple. All you do is pick five NFL games against the spread each week, and you'll have a chance to win a hundred thousand dollars. Guaranteed in cash prizes. That's not even the best part. The best part is my bookie has thousands of bets to choose from from over the full NFL slate and NBA playoffs. From live betting to championship futures, every play you want to make is waiting at my bookie. Make your picks, win big, collect your cash. It's very simple. Uh, use promo code PAC12 and double your first deposit now. It's a no-brainer. Your winning season begins today only at my bookie eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. 
We are back here on the podcast of champions. Dave, do you have a good break? I had a, I had the best break of my life. I um, drank some hot tea after um, doing the sound effect because that was a lot on the vocal cords. You know, I a, I serenaded uh, you actually, in fact, with this magic <laughs> moment. Um, a beautiful song by Jay and the Americans um, from 1968. Ooh. And, uh, yeah, that's just where we are right now. Uh, and good job with the, the break music. You just created that since we don't have it here. And now we got to get to, we got to test the vocal cords again because we got to read some, uh, some long questions. I don't know if I can handle this today, but I'm going to give it my best shot. And I'm certainly, under no circumstances, am I going to make any jokes about um, what reading these questions might make me do. Nice. Uh, I think we got Hithliday first. Do you want to start? You want to? I'd love to start with our friend Hithliday Almond. Okay. Demonstrate value. Is that a command? Is he asking us to? There was no punctuation, so I'm going to assume. What do you think? Let's yeah, I think it's he's command. telling us to demonstrate value. All right. Yeah. I enjoyed hearing the enthusiastic and versatile discussion, plus Ryan and David, on which universe to live in, as you accidentally recreated Rawls' Veil of Ignorance. How appropriate to this podcast. That, so that's like you're supposed to picture yourself basically in another, if you're like picturing another society. Yeah, like, if you're picturing without another any society. Status. Exactly. You're picturing another society, but you're not given any information on where you would fa- fall into the hierarchy in that society. And so in that the theory is that in that situation you will be making a decision that is moral and just because it's all about self-interest, you know. If you knew you were going to be on top, then you would make the decisions that favor the people on top. But if you don't know where you're going to fall in the broad scheme of things, then you'll make a decision that's more broadly equitable for everyone. You're going to design. So I don't, yeah, I, I don't think that's what we did last week because when it we were is, saying we were focusing on death, but we weren't. We were there was some speculation about you wouldn't be a Jedi. You'd be just some technician working on an X-wing. Oh, I see. I was thinking like, well, I don't know. I, I guess I, I mean I was trying to picture myself as something cool. I wasn't going to say like, well, I wasn't picking like Harry Potter over Star Wars because I was worried that if I was a you know a Muggle that uh, you know would be worse off in the Harry Potter world than if I was uh, a technician on a Death Star in the Star Wars world. I get it. But I don't know. So in my mind, I wasn't doing Rawls' Veil of Ignorance, but maybe you were. Maybe you were ignorant of uh, the Veil of Ignorance. Yes. I think so. Well, sorry. Okay. So Great. who was having the discussion then if it wasn't us? Uh, Bree, I guess... Bree was on the show. But I we... think he was making a polite allusion to her being better than us. That, which is fine. I respect it. I think that was It's hard for fun. her to have a discussion by herself, though. We had to be included somehow. Well, I've certainly discussed all angles of a single point in one of my diatribes <laughs> on this show before. Very true. Okay. All right. Here we go. This Monday is the 24th anniversary of Bob Toledo's opener at UCLA, the first game of the post-Terry Donahue era. The program is 160 and 138, 53.7% winning percentage in that time under five different head coaches. As a warm-up, Please rank them, not in terms of how many bad outcomes happened on their watch, but by how much lasting damage they did to the brand. 
Bob Toledo, Carl Durrell, Rick Neuheisel, Jim Mora, Chip Kelly. Okay, so damage to the brand. Mmm. You got to go Carl Durrell, probably number one. Bob Toledo had UCLA on the brink of a national championship appearance um, before the Miami debacle, so you can't have him too high. Um, and honestly, the brand hadn't diminished that far when he was uh, fired. It was just, you know, kind of a couple mediocre years after nearly reaching the pinnacle. Um, Darrell brought it really low opposite um, Pete Carroll. Um, and I don't think Darrell was objectively the worst coach in this bunch. I think Rick Neuheisel or Zombie Chip Kelly definitely fall below Darrell. But I think in terms of where he came in the scheme of things and how it impacted UCLA's trajectory. I think Durrell is number one here. Um, you couldn't just roll over and surrender to that USC team, which is essentially what Durrell did uh, for five straight years, um, you know, both on the recruiting trail and, and otherwise. And it more or less permanently, I thought, put UCLA in second tier status in the LA area. Obviously, there was the uptick under Mora, um, but for the most part, it's been a USC, you know, 20 years in that, you know, UCLA versus USC. And Darrell was a big part of that. Um, just kind of rolling over and dying um, against Carroll. Um, then I would go uh, lasting damage. The thing is, it's hard to project right now, but I'd probably go Chip Kelly um, as number two. Wow. Uh, I don't know. Given the pandemic given everything like we were already thinking it was going to be a long recovery period after chip kelly um whenever he leaves just because of the way he's decimated recruiting the way he's kind of just turned ucla into this weird program that doesn't recruit at a high level anymore um but on top of that now you're adding in the budget issues the pandemic that are kind of not controlled by him, but the actual real damage he's doing to the program combined with those issues may lead to UCLA being a, a second tier program for decades. Um, obviously we all hope not, but that could very well be the case. Um, then after that, it's pick your poison. Uh, Rick Neuheisel wasn't good. He was very bad. Uh, he's probably the worst of the bunch in terms of what he actually did, given the talent he had at his disposal. But he did load up the program with talent for Jim Mora to then uh, do a lot with. Uh, Mora is probably number five on this list. Um, I don't think he did lasting damage to the program. I think he caused a resurgence. Even if you take the six years on balance, um, I still think it was a net positive, especially given what surrounded his era at UCLA. Um, and then Toledo is probably fourth and Neuheisel is probably third. Yeah. But yeah, in order well, in basically in order of damage, it's Durrell, Kelly, Neuheisel, Toledo, Mora. That 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 list makes sense to me. Um and Neuheisel, from his point on, the team had a full complement of gloves, so that he did change the, he, the game he that way that besides it, giving. It, yeah, no, and he brought that to everyone's attention. You know, that was yes. the most important thing. And he's continued to bring that to people's attention. Like before Neuheisel... Or we have. <laughs> well, that's the thing. is Before Neuheisel, who would have known how important gloves were and a, a proper allotment of gloves were <laughs> to the overall play and performance of a football program? You wouldn't have known 
Uh, so whatever you might think of him as a coach, I think his contributions to the discourse, his contributions to the understanding of college football just cannot be denied. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's about awareness. We're in an era. We just, we need to be more aware of things. And, and, uh, Rick Neuheisel was a trailblazer for that. So it's great. Truly was. All right. And then the final paragraph, uh, I often think of UCLA as the Washington of the South, big city, putative academic prestige, uh, claims of past glory, a quarter century of irrelevance, the Dennis Reynolds of their gang. It took the Huskies eight years and two coaches to go from 0 and 12 to conference champs. Do you boys think the Bruins could recover any faster than that? The recruiting landscape has changed since 10 or 20 years ago when Carl Durrell could have a top 20 class for the asking. Now that Herm, Mario, Dabo, and the entire SEC have taken up residence in Southern California. Uh, yeah. Oh, so uh, it certainly could happen faster than that. Would I bet on it? No. Um, the way it happens is the way it always happens is you hire a good enough coach. Um, and... If you hire a good enough coach, they'll recruit well enough to do that. Um, and if you don't, you won't. And that might feel a little circular, uh, but I think it's true. Um, I think the UC- the UCLA program is going to be mediocre-ish until they once again hire a good coach. And a good coach can go, I mean, you're talking as low as first three years Jim Mora. You know, somebody with some energy, not necessarily an X's and O's aficionado, but somebody who comes in with a plan and some energy, and uh, just writes the ship. I mean, UCLA, even if you do acknowledge some change in the recruiting landscape, right, that Oregon is more of a national recruiting power than it was a decade ago, um, and you acknowledge that Washington has certainly picked up its recruitment since, um, you know, UCL since uh, even the Mora years, um, and you acknowledge that USC is at some point going to get this thing right again. And you acknowledge that the SEC is still, you know, going to try to recruit California. A UCLA program that is actually recruiting at a high level should be able to fend off even those programs. Um, and that's actually, you know, got some hope. Right now, the UCLA program is hopeless. Um, and I think that comes across in recruiting. Like, I think it's hard to pitch a program that's been so bad through two seasons under Chip Kelly and through the last two seasons of the Mora era and um, going into the third season under a coach who's clearly failing. Uh, I think it's hard to pitch. Um, and I think that being hard to pitch, I think Clay Helton being hard to pitch at USC has led to a lot of the successes that other programs have had recruiting California. Um, but I think if both programs or one of those programs was operating once again at a highish level, it's not as if Clemson will suddenly stop recruiting California or stop pulling occasionally really good players, but there's a lot of kids who are going to want to stay home. Um, and there always will be. And if the programs are good enough, a lot of those really good players are going to stay home. Um, and that kind of thing cascades pretty quick because if enough of those guys stay in one cycle, then your team's a little bit better the next year. And then, then more guys stay home the next cycle and your team's a little bit better again. Um, it just requires, I mean, it, we're at a point where USC and UCLA are probably, over the last, what, three years, they've been about as bad as they've been combined. Like, when was the last time they've both been just kind of hopeless programs? Uh, well, the USC did win the Pac-12 once during that time, but... Whatever. You know what I mean. Yeah. When have they, like, when have they been, like, in a position where neither one would ever be talked about for, like, I guess USC has been because people don't know what they're talking about, but for, like, winning a national championship or even being in the conversation. Yeah. 
No, it's been. A, I think it's been a while. This is a, a, a rough stretch for both. So, I, yeah, I agree. So, anyway, um, I do. Th- I think it could happen quicker, but um, I wouldn't bet on it. I think eight years was uh, pretty fast to go from 0 and 12 to conference champs. And like I said, the pandemic. There's a lot of weird ramifications of everything that's happened in the last year that make it really hard to predict how anything's going to look even in a couple of years, let alone 10 years now. Yeah. All right. Uh, thanks for that one, Hithliday. Uh This one is from Thomas. Oh, boy. It is not short. Uh, Pac-12 headquarters hysteria. <sighs> hey, guys. hey, guys, and Bree. Uh, unfortunately, Bree's not here, but I will pass it along. I'm writing it today very reluctantly about a topic for which there has been lots of heat lately, but almost no light. Yes, I'm referring to the cost of the Pac-12 headquarters in San Francisco. Uh, This could be good. I'm keenly aware that some in the audience at this point will stop listening. Some in the audience, Tom. Like, you're you're talking to somebody who stopped listening. (laughs) I'm reading the question. I stopped. (laughs) (laughs) I'm interested in fully understanding the issue. But for those people who are looking for something more than hysteria, this email is for you. Oh, God. As probably all 78 uh, – man, he takes a shot at us. 78 of your regular listeners know ESPN's combo That's not a shot. He's overestimating by, like, oh, 40. Fair point. Uh, ESPN's Kyle Bonagora posted a tweet, including the Pac-12's 18-19 tax year filing for the rent of its headquarters, uh, which, as reported, includes the location of the studios of the Pac-12 network – in the same tweet, uh, Bonagora listed the other PAC Power 5 conferences' respective rent on their headquarters. The gap between them appears astounding, because it is, uh, with the Conference of Champions inexplicably paying millions, while its peers somehow needing only a fraction of that. The assertion, uh, not just Bonagora, but other colleagues like John Canzano gave, is predictable. Real estate in San Francisco is so atrociously expensive, expensive that moving the conference's base anywhere else would fix the problem. It's a great story, but alas, not exactly true. The reality is that money isn't the basis for every decision an organization makes. Consider the following. You've got two points here. One, the other Power Five conferences don't actually own studios. Um, That's probably smart, but okay. First, ESPN actually operates both the SEC and ACC networks from their existing facilities in Charlotte and Bristol. Moreover, uh, those two conferences only have a revenue sharing agreement uh, so the indirect cost of the studio is rolled into other expenses that may not even be transferable to the SEC or ACC. The Big Ten, meanwhile, does have a partial ownership of Big Ten Network. Um, did I say Big 12? Big Ten has a partial ownership of the Big Ten Network. Its studios are not uh, where the conference is, however. Uh, Big Ten Network actually broadcasts not from the league's office park near O'Hare Airport, but the pricey Montgomery Ward building in downtown Chicago. And the Big 12, of course, doesn't have a network at all. In other words, it's hard to pay rent on things that don't exist or you don't own. Okay, two, there are significant benefits of having the Pac-12 network at its present location, but they are intangible. For example, the conference gets to share a building with Comcast regional sports networks. This might not sound important, but it means that building is already wired and and designed to operate not just as a studio, but the broadcast command center for the Pac-12 that needs to control multiple feeds. Then there's the fact that Comcast is the single largest cable provider that carries the channel and thus the largest source of revenue. And even if Comcast left, the building is still uh, in the heart of San Francisco's tech industry and to BART, which offers a quick ride, not only to the city's uh, international airport, but also to uh, also the UC office of the president. 
And while people think I'm defending Larry Scott, I'm not. It's the other people that work hard every day in the conference offices that don't deserve being second-guessed when, clearly, Canzano and Bonagora are thinking with their respective hearts, not heads. In some, this is why the conference, uh, other conferences make fun of us. We spend all this time and energy criticizing business decisions instead of worrying about coaching and recruiting. Don't get me wrong. I like playing armchair CEO as much as the next guy, but these types of attacks are really unfair. Eagerly awaiting the next Zoom call, Thomas. Uh, thank you, Thomas. Um, I will not do, because you spent a lot of time on this, I will not do what I would otherwise do, which is make a loud fart noise right now. Um, <laughs> I'm not going to do it. Um, the other power conferences don't actually own studios. They all make significantly more money than the Pac-12. The Pac-12 shouldn't own its own studio. That's where we are. They do own their own studio. Okay. Do they have to have it? This is your second point. Do they have to have it in the most expensive, you know, real estate market in the United States? Uh, nothing, nothing you said in this uh, paragraph is compelling. Um, it gets to share a building with Comcast regional sports networks. Who cares? I mean, so are you saying like if it wasn't pre-wired first, like it would have cost even more? Like, like <laughs> no. uh, real estate in Sacramento is not as expensive as it is in the Bay Area, uh, in the actual Bay Area. Real estate in Salt Lake City is not even as expensive as that. Uh, you could find a big city that is wired for Internet that probably has a regional sports network from some cable company, if you're really into that, that's not as expensive as San Francisco. In a time when they are just cutting salaries because they have to save a little bit of money, it is worth noting that they're paying a shitload of money in rent. That they probably, and this is not something that we're just bringing up now. This is something that we've known for years now. And we've been talking about it for years now. It was a, it, it's not like, these aren't like things where you have to talk about one or the other. The Pac-12, a lot of the schools make bad hiring decisions and they don't recruit very well and they're in, you know, financial trouble of their own accord. But we can also talk about the conference wasting a bunch of money and being run by a dilettante. Like, we can do that. So, yeah, this was a stupid decision. And it's also stupid that UCLA, um, you know, that Chip Kelly's not good at coaching football. These are both stupid things. We can we can keep these two thoughts in our heads at one time. Yeah. No, I agree with you, and it's it, it is it's like comparing apples and oranges, um, but you're going to like a all the other conferences were going to an apple pie making contest, and they have the apples, and you're bringing an orange to to making apple pies. Like you you didn't need to have an orange. Like you didn't need to have your own studio. That was no, a bad you're, decision. You're bringing an orange, and then you're also bringing like a forty million dollar orange press. To turn it into the pie or something, <laughs> right? And your pie did not turn out nearly as well as the other people well, like, that just had like, apples. That's, that's just like obviously the pie is a piece of crap. But how did you spend this much money <laughs> making it? Yes, you spent more money on your orange. Why did you drive to this community baking contest in a Lamborghini? Why? <laughs> yes. I love food analogies. No, that yeah. works. I think it works all around. It's perfect. All right. I think you got a long one here from Bernie. All right. Oh, got to get a gear up for this one. All right. <clears throat> oh, got to clear those cords. <laughs> okay. Can we take a break for hot tea or 
Yeah, okay. yeah I, right. I actually kind of need one, but you, you know. All right. NCAA championship. Hi, guys. First time I've written you in 2020. My question is, who will win an NCAA championship first? USC football or UCLA basketball? Thanks. Hope you're both safe and well. Trick question, Bernie. UCLA basketball, because there is no NCAA championship in football. Boom! Roasted. Very good. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Real answer? I think I'd probably go UCLA basketball still. That's a good question. Um, I, I think UCLA basketball is closer. They're closer right and now, I, which is my main reason. Yeah. But what do you think it's harder to do? Because, like, say UCLA, Mick Cronin gets, like, the top recruiting class, like, two years in a row or whatever, and they are, like, the best team in the NCAA. Like, they're the best team in the country. And USC loads up. Like, they hire Urban Meyer. They hire somebody. They And they're, like, two great recruiting classes in a row, and it's, like, Pete Carroll's third year. Like, they're, like, they're the team to beat. Who would you give the better chance of winning a championship? Oh, Is it easier for the best team definitely in football USC. to win? Definitely USC. It's way yeah. easier for a football team to do it because they don't have to get through the NCAA tournament. Um, right. Getting through the NCAA tournament, even if you're really, really good, so you've got like a 99% chance of winning your first game, then you've got maybe a, what, 80% chance of winning your second game, and then it gets into like a lot of 60% chances. You're like rolling the dice a lot. Uh, whereas yeah. a USC that's really, really good, you're probably, you know, I don't know, better than 80% to win most of your regular season games. I don't know. I could go either way because there are some challenges now with um, the way the Pac-12 is perceived, with the addition of the playoff, with um, just the overall strength of the rest of the conference in terms of them using analytics more for the uh, college football playoff calculation. You really can't afford more than one loss ever. You're right. So it's it. Previous years, it was definitely football. But I think now with the addition of the playoff and with um, more analytics being involved, I think it might be a bit more of a toss-up. I, I think I'm going to lean to UCLA basketball, too, for maybe the same reason. The scenario I gave you, I agree. I think it's easier for the best team in football to win than the best team in basketball. But I don't think either USC or UCLA are going to become the best in their respective sports. And if you're not the best, I think the basket, you're on the basketball side, you have a better chance of winning. So, like, if USC is, like, really, you know, really good, but, like, Alabama is amazing, Alabama's probably still going to win, right? Well, that's the Where, and UCLA, like UCLA as long as they're a top like a 15, really, really good team. you're a top 15 team that gets hot at the right time, you could win the NCAA tournament. Right. You could beat a Duke that has, right. like, you know, Zion Williamson or whatever. You know, like, well, look at it this um, way. When Sam Darnold had USC rolling at the end of that year, they might have been the best team in the country. We don't know because they weren't given an opportunity to play for it. Yeah. A UCLA team that surges at the end of the year in basketball will have a chance to play for it. Maybe as a three seed, maybe as a four seed, but they'll have a chance to play for it and win it. Yeah. Yeah, good stuff. Interesting. Yeah, I think we're both I think UCLA basketball right now, I would I would if I had to bet, that's where I would bet. Yeah. Um, thanks, Bernie. This one is from Mike in Full Shear, Texas. Uh, the red blue divide. Uh do you think this will be political? We'll see. Ryan and David. Know. As I was <laughs> as I was driving home today from the airport, I listened to your September second POC episode, you can imagine my distress when I heard the anguish. 
in David's voice as he described a red slash blue divide when it comes to playing college football this year. David spoke forlongingly of a red-blue political divide, deciding which conferences would play and which wouldn't. I want David to know that while the politicians are divided, the people of our great nation are not. David, don't let cable news convince you that your fellow Americans are anything but united in this time of COVID-19. Every week, I travel this great nation, spending time in red and blue states equally, and nowhere I go, Americans have their masks. No matter no where matter I where, go. Sorry, no matter where I go, Americans have their masks dangling from one ear, covering their chin or below their nose to ensure they could smell the virus in time to warn <laughs> their fellow countrymen. That's a smart way to do it. Yeah, because you can smell that virus. It's like the No, it's, it's like got natural a real scent to it. It's got a body, full bodied. I think they added the scent, like the natural gas, they put that like rotten egg smell yeah, to it. They've yeah. added some scent to the COVID-19. Uh, I do have to admit, though, David, you are correct in your belief that a red-blue divide uh, in at least one area, while SMU and Texas State did have fans in the stands, while the California stadiums were empty, for what I could tell, all the Californians were in Las Vegas casinos at the time. I hope this raises your spirits, David. Mike from Fullshire, Texas. P.S. BBJ, you are a great addition to the show. Uh, so talk about Bree. Yes. Great yeah. stuff, Mike. Thank you. It did raise my spirits. Um, yeah. Vegas. A lot of the Vegas casinos going on here. That's... Uh, Dude, can you just scroll down in this next email that I've got to read? Hold on, let me see. I will. Ooh, this is. Yeah, this is a. This scroll. is the longest is a... email we've ever received. <laughs> it actually. Well, good. Is. I don't, it actually I don't get screwed. Is. Yeah. yeah. <sighs> let me scroll down well, and see who it's from. Hang on. Uh, this is from AJ in Arizona. Thank you, AJ. Okay. Washington offensive line follow-up is the subject line. Good afternoon, gentlemen. This is AJ in Arizona, never been on the P. First time, long time. I've never had much to add to your always stellar analysis. However, two weeks ago, your breakdown of a potential great matchup caused me to think more than ever before. This is lengthy. Feel free to save for another time if you're getting to the end of the show. I've broken this down into what I believe are comparable categories uh, regarding Casey from Tacoma's email about the Washington O-line. Hobbits. <laughs> Wait, so he's compared to the Washington offensive line and the Hobbits and Ewoks conversation all mixed into one. Well, I'm pretty sure that was the initial email was it was a Washington O-line joke and it was Hobbits versus Ewoks. So anyway, Hobbits uh, recruits Bilbo Baggins uh, went on an adventure, saved dwarves from spiders. So these are written like evaluations. Um Save dwarves from spiders, wood elves, a dragon, and their own hubris. Won a game of riddles in the dark. Five stars. Frodo Baggins, ring bearer, shows incredible resilience to the one ring. Not much of a fighter. Three stars. Samwise, quote, Sam Gamgee. Okay with a sword, great with a frying pan. Loyal to Frodo, cleared out the tower of Sirith Ungle, oh, Sirith Ungle, by putting fear into an orc horde. Saw through Smeagol's BS, was able to resist the ring and return it to Frodo. Five stars. Okay, sorry. I can already see your bias here. All right, AJ. <laughs> You've given two five stars to Bilbo and Sam. So Bilbo, who goes nuts and is like a demented old man by the time Lord of the Rings comes out. And then Sam, who's like a, a, an equal partner in the most boring chapters from The Two Towers and Return of the King. No, mm. I'm sorry. No, Frodo and Sam are a combined six stars. They're each three stars, solid three stars. 
maybe with some upside. Maybe they're in that high three-star territory where 247 has them ranked four stars, but the aggregate has not in the three stars. Maybe. All right, anyway. Pippin took. Uh, kills Urukai and Orcs with Rocks, enlists into the Army of Gondor, kills a troll. Size advantage is one of the two tallest hobbits in history, thanks to Treebeard's Entrot. PED issue? Four stars. Wow. Mariadoc Mary Brandybuck kills Urukai and Orcs with Rocks, enlists into the Army of Rohan, assists in killing the Witch King of Angmar, the other of the two tallest hobbits in history. Five stars. I don't remember... Uh... Mary. Which one was that one? Well, Mary's the one who stabs the uh, the uh, the leader of the Nazgul. Okay. He's the one who kills him at the uh, battle um, in front of Gondor. Okay. Yeah, I don't in remember all the these White names City, I should say. Uh, are, are people still listening right now? Oh, they... God, I hope not. Uh, <laughs> we still have a long way to go on this question, everyone. All right, offense. This is an evaluation of the Hobbit's offense. Very reactionary, willing to step up when a mountain troll and goblins have already wreaked havoc in the mines of Moria. Or after Urukai have already overrun their fellowship, or after Saruman and Ruffians have already taken over the Shire. Once they get going, though, they can be formidable. Defense mostly consists of hiding and running, able to elude ringwraiths and the Eye of Sauron. As a group, many hobbits are able to set up a barricade of wagons and take out Ruffians in the Battle of Bywater. Book. Uh, equipment Sting, swords, knives, rocks, frying pans, bows and arrows, and gardening equipment. They wear elven cloaks that help them hide and armor, including one set of impenetrable mithril. Strengths. Loyal. Work as a group. Able to rise to the occasion and coachable. Weaknesses. Generally like to be lazy and passive. Favorite hobbies include eating, drinking ale, smoking pipeweed, and being pleasant, even toward an unexpected party of unwelcome guests. Worst loss. Either fighting the more talented ringwits at Weathertop, resulting in the near death of Frodo, or getting overrun by a band of Urukai resulting in the breaking of the fellowship best win the big four rallied the residents of the shire to fight against the wizard saruman and the ruffians showing that each hobbit had the potential for greatness once again from the book overall there's a lot more in hobbits than one would guess and a deal more than they have any idea about themselves elves dwarves ents the mithrandir and the king of the west hold hobbits in high regard there now, is a lot of details in that like, jesus christ like the, like he went through the book like literally to find i mean would you you don't remember all these tribes names and things like that like, i remember basically everyone in there except for sirith ungol i don't remember that okay but no i mean i i i'm look i'm i'm not a not huge nerd like i do i do know most of this stuff um i just wouldn't like i wouldn't probably have done this but i'm i'm respecting it greatly to be um, fair, I kind of think you would have done this. Maybe. Like, I could picture you listening to... No, no. The next part is actually where it gets friggin' crazy to me. Okay. All okay? Right, because The Hobbits, that's all in a book. It's in text. You know what their names are. Who can name an Ewok from the from the friggin' movie? <laughs> yeah, how do you do that? AJ in Arizona it's, can do it. Here we go. The credit. The credit. Ewoks. Recruits. Paplu. This is a thing's name uh stole a speeder bike as a distraction for the rebellion four stars wait is that the one that met princess leia first I, it must have been it must have been. i think that was the same one right so yep. i mean he's also you would say like you know a great uh negotiator he was a, you know a, a scout it's a, I, yeah, I think four okay. stars is an underrating yes uh lumat chuka Trok. As the woodcutter for the village, he's strong. He's also wise as a teacher to Mace in Caravan of Courage. 
he sacrificed himself to save Sindel's family and the Ewoks. Four stars. Wait. Like, that was not English. Like, that entire description <laughs> of whatever this was is not English. I do not that understand be, it. That has to be from a book or something. It, That's not it from... obviously is from a book. I cannot handle it, though. All right, okay. next one. Tebow knows a little magic and hopes to be the Ewok shaman. Two stars. Nippet, the cute baby and Jedi. Five stars. Wicket hit himself in the face with a sling, however showed in potential in helping save Sindel in battle for Endor. Rudy-esque walk-on. Wicket, I think I knew that name. I don't think I knew any of the other ones. Yeah, I, I didn't know any of them had a name. Wicket, I want to say, was in the Return of the Jedi video game that I played on Super Nintendo 20 years ago. Wow. All right. Okay. Offense. They are able to effectively attack as a group when they have time to plan. There were numerous booby traps set up in the forest to take out large ATST walkers and platoons of troopers. Defense. With planning, a defensive ambush was set up in Endor that momentarily repelled Tarak and the Marauders, low-budget orcs. However, the Ewoks were ultimately saved by the blasters on Noah's ship, Wilford Brimley, R.I.P. Equipment, spears, bows and arrows, slings, forest booby traps, lassos, magic that doesn't do much, no relevant armor. Strengths, they are intelligent, scrappy, and savage, beating troopers with sticks, crushing ATSTs with logs, and tripping the giant Gorax down a cavern in Caravan. Also, they attempted to cook Han, Luke, and Chewie alive with plans to feed them to Leia. <laughs> Weaknesses. They are afraid of some forms of magic, as evidenced by Luke using the Force to help C-3PO fly in Jedi. They also struggled against the sorceress Chiral in Endor. Additionally, generally clumsy. Worst loss? In a surprise attack, the Ewok village was decimated by Tarak and the Marauders, accompanied by Chiral. Spoiler alert, Sindel and Wicket's families are straight up murdered in the first five minutes of Battle for Endor. By the way, Sindel is a human girl that's five or six. Best win? The Ewoks helped defeat the Empire in a land battle using sticks and stones of various sizes. However, despite Kenobi's assertion that Imperial Stormtroopers have precise aim and new hope, Stormtroopers have shown that they have the inability to hit anyone or anything of importance. The one Stormtrooper MVP hit Leia in the arm and once before Han shot in the, in the arm once before Han shot the trooper in the face. Overall, the Ewoks show that they are at their best when they have time to plan and their enemy is technologically advanced and wears helmets that hinder sight. Holy cow. Okay. I feel like I've never seen this movie. and I, haven't, I've, I have uh, no idea what anything is referring to that is not from the actual movie. Right. No, no idea. And then what is the ATST? I thought it was ADATs. Are those, is no, ADATs no, the ATATs are the ones with four legs. The ATSTs are the ones with two legs. Okay, all right, but all I, right. we would call them adats. Was that not right, or is that like I don't just know, say ATATs? Okay, I, yeah. I, I don't I, know, man. I think it's ATATs. I think Imperial okay. Walkers. We're not done. There's still there's still more text in this email than there was in Hitler days. Like <laughs> left to go. <laughs> Honestly, if Ewoks and Hobbits ever met, they would have a pretty sweet party. But that's not why we're here. The three scenarios. So these were offered in the original email. Um, right. In a bar fight, the Ewoks would likely be more aggressive. The first thing we see one do is poke Leia with a spear. Hobbits have higher alcohol tolerance and would be taken by surprise by aggressive drunk. T- <laughs> would be taken by surprise by aggressive drunk teddy bears. Hobbits would also be too polite to stop anything. Ewoks slap hard. They slap. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why I'm giggling so much now, but it's I can't. Ewoks slap hard. They slapped the shit out of the 
<laughs> the ATSD drivers. Presumably to death. <laughs> Presumably to death. Advantage Ewoks. <laughs> Something about the idea of drunken teddy bears slapping the shit out of somebody. Presumably. <laughs> I'm, I'm losing it. I'm losing it now. Um, in a tag team wrestling match, the Ewoks slap hard, but have also shown themselves to be what George, <laughs> George Lucas always intended them to be. Bumbling cuties to sell toys to kids. Hobbits are essentially World War II Brits. A Merry and Pippin tag team, especially after the War of the Ring, would be intimidating. Despite the slap power, <laughs> and based on the brief scene of a stormtrooper tossing an Ewok with ease in Jedi, the Hobbits would win. Merry and Pippin went whole hog jumping on and attacking the cave troll in Moria. Advantage Hobbits. In an all-out epic battle front, uh, Ewoks would take an early lead with a surprise attack. However, Hobbits use similar tech, and large Ewok booby traps would be useless. Hobbits have skilled archers, and in close combat, repressed ferocity, combined with armor and swords, would be too much for Ewok hide and sticks. There was a Hobbit army in the final chapters of The Return of the King. Advantage, Hobbits. Thank you for keeping up with the podcast, even in these stagnant Pac-12 times, AJ, in Arizona. Oh, God, AJ. There's a lot in there. I'm just going to say it. I'm just going to say it. Disagree. Yeah. Still going with the uh, Ewoks. Oh, God. I think he's made... Yeah, it's a long text message next. Oh, fuck. Oh, this one's me. Okay. There's also a link. So this one's a link to a New York Times article. Oh, my God. This is really long. This is from The Analyst. Uh, given that David has expressed skepticism about college football being played this season, I believe he will be better educated about COVID testing and the complexities of the test after reading this New York, Time, New York Times article that was published roughly 10 days ago. The bottom line is, according to The New York Times, the actual number of people in the USA who are infected with COVID might be closer to 600,000 and not 6 million. No, 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 that's not what it says. No, no, I read the article. That's not what it says. Don't say this. Uh, so, okay, hold on. Well, I'll read the rest of this paragraph. Then do you want to paraphrase? Yeah, go we for can it. Paraphrase. The New York Times is uh, not doing a great job in giving us all the info. So let me fill in some details. First, the PCR test heats up and cools down the double helix DNA virus fragments after converting the virus's RNA to DNA many times to determine if someone is infected, and these are called cycles. Second, there are no global standards regarding how many cycles are required to determine if someone is infected. Third, the goal of performing these cycles is to create hundreds of millions, if not billions, of double helix strands of fragments of the virus's DNA. For example, China recommends 30 cycles, so the, their PCR tests produce roughly 1 billion, 2 to the 30th power, of the double helix DNA strands. This is going down a rabbit hole. Germany recommends 33 cycles, so their PCR tests produce approximately 8 billion DNA strands. Why is this difference important? Because epidemiologists say someone is infected with COVID if the PCR, produ PCR produces about 500 million or more COVID fragments. So you can see if the, the cycle count produces 8 billion strands, 33 cycles, the likelihood of generating 500 million COVID DNA fragments is much higher than if one generates 1 billion DNA strands, 30 cycles, from the same person. 
So how does the New York Times are, uh, New York Times arrive at upwards of 90% false positives in the USA? Well, our labs are employing 40 cycles, which produce roughly 1 trillion DNA strands, 2 to the 40th power. Clearly, it is substantially easier to produce 500 million COVID fragments when one generates over 1 trillion DNA strands. Uh, it's like coin flipping. If I have 1,000 people and I ask them to flip a coin 100 times, and anyone who produces 70 or more heads gets $100. Out of those 1,000 people, statistically, uh, statistics will tell you roughly 100 people would win $100. But if I ask the same 1,000 people to flip the coin 150 times, we would expect heads coming up 70 or more for nearly 600 people, or about six times more than those who flipped the coin 100 times. In other words, we got more, quote, winners in the latter group merely because we had them flip it more. And America is getting more COVID infections merely because, on average, our labs are producing 1,000 times more double helix DNA strands than the rest of the world. This largely explains why there are so many Americans who are, quote, infected but are asymptomatic. It also partly explains why, according to the CDC, there have been only 11,000 Americans who have died from COVID who did not have any other comorbidity. The New York Times is not saying COVID is a hoax. What they are saying is that if the USA employed the same number of PCR cycles count as the rest of the world in doing, and what test experts recommend, there would be about 600,000 Americans who are infected with COVID and not the massive number of over 6 million that is quoted every day and scaring every one of us. My view is that COVID can be very lethal, but just for a fraction of the general public, and those are mostly 80-year-olds with at least two underlying medical issues like diabetes, hypertension, obesity, etc. Shoo! Regards, the analyst. And then he includes a link to the New York Times article. Yeah. Yeah, I All mean, right. it's the underlying point is um, true that the more cycles you do of this stuff, that you're going to end up with more sensitive tests that catch people who may or may not be transmitting it. Um, I think it's... Uh, not a meaningless distinction, but relatively, um, because first, it's not 600,000. Um, it would be uh, some order of magnitude more than that um, who would still be positive because you're basing it off of, I think, going down to 30 cycles, which I don't think they would be doing. They'd be going down to like 33 or 35. So it would be, I don't know, a few million still. Um, but even going back to that, um, more people have died in the United States than have died anywhere. So I, I don't really, I mean, I care what the denominator is, like out of how many cases, but I also like, whatever the case may be, our outbreak is worse than every other country because more people have died. Right? Yeah. Like, isn't, so that, I an, think, isn't that an easy way to think about it? Well, he said like if someone died, like they had a heart attack or something and they were tested for COVID, but they... Well, I've got. They, they were positive about... here, but they wouldn't have been positive if they were in China. I think is what he's saying. So there wouldn't have been a COVID death in another country, but they were here. I, I don't understand this stuff. That's just that's from what. I don't, he yeah, wrote. but I don't know. If, I, I think he's making a logical leap that isn't necessarily in evidence. Because the thing is, like all that stuff about conspiracy theories about death certificates and stuff, it's not really borne out by any like significant analysis. Like if they're listed as having died of COVID, it's because that was a significant contributing factor to their death. And all the th stuff about, oh, all these people have comorbidities. Well, I've got news for you. And this is a fun one. You ready for it? Everyone yeah. who dies of something would have eventually died of something else. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty crazy how that works. Um, that is true. But the, the thing we do with modern health 
and like medicine and stuff. I know it's this is another wild thing. We try to prolong life. And so what we can do to prevent people who might otherwise die, even relatively soon, like in the next few years of something, is to prevent them from dying of the other things as well. So, okay, I just, you know, that might be a good, useful way to think about it when we're, everyone keeps talking about, well, I mean, there's a few useful ways to think about it. Everyone keeps talking about all these people with comorbidities. Well, guess what? When you look at the list of the comorbidities that are associated with a higher risk of COVID death, uh, it accounts for about 50% of the population. And then on top of that, um, we still don't want those people to die of this. Right. Right. Like we're all in agreement there. Like having like slightly elevated blood pressure shouldn't be a death sentence for you. Right. So maybe we just figure this thing out instead of just signing these people off for death. I get it. Um, I, and I try not to like, I don't know. It's it's just six months of the stuff. You just start to like, I'm done. Yeah, no, I'm totally done. And I don't want to read a friggin' email about this. Like trying to explain it to me. Like I'm an idiot. But the, the question I am I an idiot, be, but not you don't need to I, explain this to I me. I think I've been naive where where I think about it as you have it or you don't, right? Like there's a thing. Like you're it's a it's a binary situation. It's a one or a zero, but it's obviously not that like you could have like a little flu. Like you can't be a little pregnant. You're pregnant or you're not. But in this case, it's like you could have a little flu. You could have I guess you could have like a little COVID. And we're just our threshold is lower so we can you, you have a little COVID here you have COVID and maybe in China you had a little COVID you didn't have COVID um, I don't know what that means I mean the reporting numbers like who cares but people use those for like political reasons and all that kind of stuff um, but it, I didn't really realize that there. I thought you were like you sick with it or you weren't sick with it you know and in this case it sounds like well it just there's a threshold that you don't, we don't, this is brand new. It's a novel virus, right? Well, so what is sick with it? Like what is well, the right number to use? Like the number of cycles? The, the importance of it is for, I mean, it's detailed in the piece. The importance of it is for essentially contact tracing. Um, it's not whether or not you were infected with it. You have some of it. So you are infected with it. It's whether you're infected with it in a meaningful enough way to account for needing to contact trace you. Like if gotcha. you have it and it only shows up for 40 cycles, it only shows up in the, whatever, when you do 40 cycles versus 35, you're probably not transmitting that virus. Or you maybe were in the past, but you're not anymore, or whatever the case may be. Um, so it's not something that you would need to uh, worry about significantly from like a public health standpoint. Um, or at least it's not worth a ton of, you know, uh, extra resources. But I think that was what I was reading in that piece. That was the main argument being made, not necessarily that we're I mean, people are going to use it for determining whether or not this is a serious outbreak, because that's all they're all everyone is going to do is try to you know continue to win an Internet argument. Um, right, right. That's all it is. Yeah. Yeah. But I, guess, just, I guess the point is like, well, is there at the lower threshold or I guess it would be higher threshold like in in China? Would someone be negative that could still walk around and have enough to get someone else sick? Or it, it, that's worse than someone in America who's said to be positive but doesn't really have enough virus to get anyone else sick. Like, I guess that would be better. Like, you're, it's more, you're being more cautious here. Um, but being more cautious might make the numbers look worse, I guess, if that's fair. I mean, it'll make the case numbers work 
look worse. I just don't know how it's. I, I don't. I, I'd be interested to see any analysis that's saying it's making death looks deaths look worse. Yeah. No. That's yeah. That makes sense. Because the All sensitivity right. at which they'd be catching it. Uh, yeah. I, I just don't know. All right. Well, ooh, we got some uh, another long one. We've each had this will be your we've each had two long ones. You had the longest though. You did have the, that was that was egregious. Although right. I had a whole, I had like a you know epidemiology class in one of mine, so I don't know about that. Yeah, that was that was brutal. That took the energy <laughs> right out of me. <laughs> this is from uh, Brad in Portland. Marvel superheroes in the Pac-12. Hey guys, after this weekend, I really wish I could be asking a football-related question, but in the Pac-12, we are still in the off season. Uh, the other week, someone had a question to compare teams to superheroes. One of the problems they had was that they only gave you superheroes with really strong, good powers. Below is hopefully a more well-rounded list. I only used Marvel superheroes. All right, for Washington, he has Spider-Man. Uh, locally, he is a big deal and a major player in saving people. While he is well-known out of the area he protects, he rarely is a player on the global level. Okay, that checks yeah. out for me. Washington State, Wolverine. Uh, as far as superpowers go, Wolverine is pretty weak. He is just a little guy that can't be killed. Kind of like the Cougars, despite being in Pullman and appearing on the edge of program death, they make a comeback. Also, at uh, um, oh, also at uh, ESPN Game Day, I'm sure you can find a Wolverine and Wazoo fan. Okay, fine. Oh, uh, okay. USC, Captain Marvel. Uh, she has been made to be one of the most powerful Avengers, if not the most, and yet the only thing that can keep her down is herself. That pretty much sums up USC. I don't know anything about... Ca I never saw the movie. I don't know anything about Captain Marvel. So she might I'm be a little sure. too powerful for present state USC, but fine. 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 So, But she's, like, badass. Like, she's powerful. Yeah, yeah. She's the, the strongest Avenger. Oh, uh, okay. UCLA, Thor... Dave, you hit the nail on this one last time. Currently, they are Fat Thor, but with a little work and a new head coach, they could be so much more. Uh, Arizona State, Black Panther, a solid superhero and leader of the area. Arizona State definitely rules Arizona and always a contender in the South. Arizona is Luke Cage. Now, Ryan, I know what you're thinking. Who is Luke Cage? Some might I'm know him exactly from a Netflix that, show. Yeah. <laughs> Some might know him from a Netflix show. Well, I'm sure that this is about the same response as Arizona football. They did do something once upon a time when Rick Rod was there. Fun fact, uh, Luke Cage also was known for beating Spider-Man, just like Washington has struggled down in Tucson in the past. All do right. you know that one? Do you know no, that one at all? Not at all. Not at all. You don't know it? No. Okay. Utah, Captain America. Give the little Steve some super soldier serum, and he becomes a hero that can punch above his weight. Utah got their super serum when they joined the pack and has become a team that can punch above their recruiting class. Also, the cap is best known for a shield, a.k.a. defense, just like the Utes. Okay. All right. Colorado is Hawkeye. Sure, he is part of the team, and sometimes he plays a part in the story, but at times he is nowhere to be found, just like Colorado. Kind of crazy that one of the founding members of the MCU didn't make it into the Infinity War movie. Oregon is Iron Man. He can go toe-to-toe -to -toe with the strongest Avengers, not because he has the powers, but because he seems to have endless resources and a suit for every occasion. Also, Stark's inability to stop himself from pursuing or even recognizing dangerous ventures led to his downfall at some points. All right. He wrote sweet for every occasion, but he meant suit, right? Like, I yeah, wasn't no, sure. And I, am like, a, I think I know I am Iron a, Man. I am a fluent reader of the English language. So I just, I correct. I correct as I go. I'm not yeah. going to belabor the point. Not gonna do it. 
I didn't know if there was some suite of things that Iron no. Man had or something. Okay, he's yeah. got a suite for every occasion. He probably does. He's a very rich man. He does. Uh, Oregon State War Machine. He gets Nikes. I mean, Iron Man's leftovers. There have been some moments that War Machine gets the best of Iron Man in a fight, but normally he is always in Tony's shadow. All right, that works. Stanford. Wait, is that his partner? Is that what's that? Which one is is that his partner? Sort of. War Machine is like his buddy in the military that he gives a suit to. Okay, but they don't. They fight. They've fought a couple of times. You know, okay. fight with your friends. Stanford is Hulk, Bruce Banner. When Stanford is good, they have been seemingly unstoppable, just like the Hulk. Lately, they have been more Bruce, too smart for their own good. Okay. And Cal is Groot. Went back and forth on a lot of heroes for Cal. I ultimately ended up with Groot because as a superhero, he has a lot of potential, but doesn't seem to utilize it unless he has someone or something to motivate him. For Cal, that someone is Chase Garbers. Thanks, Brad in Portland. Nice, Brad. Good stuff. Again, someone that knows way more about that subject than I do the superhero things but uh good stuff that made sense the ones I know um this is card sharp cook and it's packed full of rookies for dynasty NFL leagues in these dynasty leagues you keep as much of your team as you want every year and draft the rest so you're mostly drafting rookies how do you rate the career chances of these drafted pac 12 players um so this is for okay so NFL dynasty leagues for Stanford, I mean, for tight ends, uh, Colby Parkinson for Stanford and uh, Devin Asiasi for UCLA. Uh, wide receiver, Isaiah Hodgins, Oregon State. Uh, Patman for Washington State. Pittman for USC. Chenault for Colorado. And Ayuk for Arizona State. Quarterback, you got Eason, Luton, and Herbert. Washington, Oregon State, and Oregon. And uh, for running back, Kelly from UCLA, Moss from Utah, and Eno Benjamin from ASU. Think about drafting for a career, not a season. Are they potential heroes, solid possibilities, or not worth the roster space? Which of these players have a chance to be a top 20 player within the next four years? Thanks, Card Sharp Cook. So just like hearing the names, um, I think running back is probably the most stacked in this group. Like, when yeah. I'm looking at them all, um, like, what I think, I think each of those three players, I wouldn't discount the possibility that they're, like, talked about as one of the best running backs in the league within a couple of years. Um, I can't really say that about any of these other position groups. So, all right, let's go through them and rate them by these three things. Um, so, tight end, uh, Parkinson and Asiasi, I think they're both solid possibilities. I don't think either one is uh, potentially going to be, like, the best player in the league or best tight end in the league. Yeah. Um, I mean, I like Parkinson a lot, but it's just based on what it's hard to say, like even just looking at this whole list, I did some fantasy drafts. I don't think any of these guys came up except, uh, Zach Moss. Uh, I, I think he was a rookie running back that was drafted high, if I remember correctly. Um, I don't think anyone was drafting anybody else. So that's at least initial potential, but he's talking about long-term potential. Um, you know, Pittman's going to start uh, for for uh, the Colts, I believe. I think, isn't, where's Hodgins at? Uh, like, I thought he might have been up there too, somewhere. Um, 
but I, I'd have to go look. I haven't even looked to see where these guys were drafted and you know what well, I don't, system I, they're yeah, in. I don't know. Like or, I don't know at all. Um, I'm just thinking about them as college players, where they might, what their talent might take them to. Um, I mean, that receiver class. I think um, I've always liked Pittman a lot, and Ayuk. I think will be good. I. Chenault's just had too many injury issues for me to know one way or the other with him. Um, and he's a, he strikes me as a uniquely college player um, in just the way he was used. When he was at his best, he was being used in so many different ways that I just don't know that's going to happen at the NFL level. Um, none of the, Nobody in that quarterback class excites me. Um, I don't know. I, I It's hard to rate any of these by these three categories without, like knowing their situation very well all right let me look um real quick there's uh rankings for uh for um fantasy football of rookies um so okay this is good they rank them all actually this is for espn they rank them all so going down the list the first one i see is actually brandon Ayuk for san francisco so if they have him as a, a wide receiver six, Zach Moss is two spots behind him. So Brandon Ayuk is the 11th ranked rookie. So that would be there's Zach Moss. Uh, Pittman's 15, Chenault's 16. So they have that's you know that's a pretty good group there. Um, let's see who else is on the list. Joshua Kelly's uh, 30th. He's with the Chargers. Um, Herbert's 35th. Uh, also with the Chargers. Uh, Asiasi's 39th. So all these guys are, this is pretty good. Um, you know, Benjamin's 49th. Colby Parkinson's 51st. Isaiah Hodgins, 53rd. Um, and I think that is it. So that's good. So of ranking all the incoming rookies, a lot of those guys were ranked, uh, at least by, this is from Mike Clay, ESPN writer. So, uh, but the top one is actually Brandon Ayuk, so he's got. They think he's got the chance to make the earliest um, impact. I think I would go. I think I would pick Moss. I kind of have a feeling about Parkinson, and uh, I just like Isaiah Hodgins a lot. I, I think I'll go with him. So those would be my three. I would pick. I concur. Totally fine. Let's do it. Really? Yeah. All right. Beautiful. Uh, but I mean, good job picking those guys. Uh, unfortunately, yeah, the only Herbert's got a chance as far as like, but Luton made a team. Uh, Luton, like someone got cut for Luton. So he's like, a, I forget where it was, but he, I, I definitely saw he made a team. So great. Yeah, we'll see. Good for them. <laughs> you care so much. I just, yeah, NFL man. Uh, all right. This is Chris from Seoul. Should the podcast adopt a team for the fall? Hey guys, big improvement last week not hearing Ryan stumble through an email. Wow. Tough, Chris. Just, wow. I think I've done pretty good. I think I've done pretty good today. I don't know. What's I think you've been handling it. Uh, politics are incessant right now. We could all use less of that and more football conversation. One, would you consider picking one team that is playing now, review their last game, and preview their next game, just to keep you guys from getting rusty? Like past years, no need to prepare, just Googling as you talk. <laughs> <laughs> uh, pick a school in the FBS, one that shares some recruiting territory with the Pac-12, one that plays a significant number of games against Pac-12 opponents each year, 
perhaps one that is capable of beating USC, even one you already have a sound drop for. BYU is the only FBS team west of Texas playing this fall. Crazy, eh? Would you adopt them? They look pretty good, and they had a fun offense. Um, sure, I'll watch some BYU football this year. I'll commit to it. They only have eight games, though, so you have to like pick your, you know, the right ones. I think they only, have, and they, they're unfortunately. Wait, wait, wait! I'm committed to watching BYU and Georgia Tech, right? Isn't it Georgia uh, Tech? Wasn't that the pick for me? You were Georgia Tech, yeah. I think you were Georgia Tech, and I was Pitt. That's what they. You were either Pitt, Pitt or Florida State, I think. Okay. Wasn't there some, like, USC, like, kind of down? Well, there was a Boston College or something, too. Cause it, I don't know. Yeah. Well, pick a team. Uh, but I'll do Georgia Tech and BYU. Um, two, Wilner is now conjecturing a Pac-8 winter-spring football season if the California schools cannot navigate state-local rules. The only two can, uh, can touch a football sort of thing. Could it get any worse for negative perceptions of the Pac-12 slash 8? Right now is about yeah. I just that's not happening. Yeah. That's not happening. Like that. I like Wilner a lot, but that just didn't make any sense. You know. Yeah. Um. All right. Rules that create unintended outcomes are not unique to California. When the Korea daily positives rose to 447 out of a population of 50 million, restrictions were tightened. Protestant church services were banned, but Catholic services were okay. Chain coffee shops went <sighs> to takeout only, oh. but independents were allowed normal in-store service. Restaurants could go full pre-corona dining in, no social distancing, except from 9 p.m. to 5 a.m. when it was takeout only, perhaps designed to contain the vampire corona strain. Keep up the work, your loyal listener, Chris from Seoul. Yep. That's, I, I mean, it's a good point as far as, like, the arbitrary way that restrictions are put in place. You can do this, but you can't do that. And I think, I'm sure every country has weird ones. Because um, there's politicians making the decisions, not... You know, politicians that talk to medical experts, then they make a decision on what they think would be best. But I can't see, a, you know, an epidemiologist going, you know what? <sighs> we got to shut down the Protestant churches. Catholic church is OK, but the Protestant church is no way. Like, obviously, there's some political bullcrap involved in that. But, uh, but it's funny. It, it, it's interesting that it happens in other countries, too. Yep. Uh, all right. This was weird. This is, uh, okay, Keon in Mordor. I mean the Bay Area. That's actually good. Hey, guys, I don't have a question for you. I'm just writing in very confused after listening to last week's podcast. You read a question that was allegedly for me, uh, and you even reiterated multiple times that the question came from me, but I never wrote that email. I never even drunk wrote that email. I had to double check. And no, there is no way there's another Keon out there who listens to the show. There are 55 of us. The odds of two Keons out of 55 listeners are lower than the odds of me guessing how to spell Hifliday's guy, guy's name correctly in this sentence. He spelled it Hifliday, H-I-F-F. Uh, okay, uh, to be clear, uh, if I thought it was a witty or memorable email, I absolutely would have said, uh, I would not have said anything and silently taken credit for it. It was it looked, was another Keon. But it's this the Keon in this email is K-E-O-N, in the Bay Area. And that one was like K-I-A-N maybe? Or is that? Yeah. Yeah. But we know. So of our 55 listeners, we have like carefully uh, selected 17 Keons. <laughs> and there, it was not easy to find 17 of you guys. No. And, and do know, even if you think you found our podcast naturally, we selected you. 
<laughs> you understand that. We found you. We put this in your earballs, and now you're listening to it. Yeah, but there are two Keons just spelled differently. Uh, and we might pronounce it wrong. I'm sorry if we did. Okay, I wrote all that, and then I thought of something to ask. Uh, what game this coming week is most likely to be canceled, postponed due to COVID between the time you record and the games on Saturday? We're already seeing games canceled a few days before kickoff this week, and it's only going to continue to happen since you guys are probably groaning out loud about how many random Group of Five and FCS games there are. Let's keep it to Power 3 games only. Cheers, Keon in Mordor or the Bay Area. Okay, I like this. Let's look at the schedule. Uh, hmm. Duke, Notre Dame. Okay, so that one. Let's see, we got Power 5. Okay, so tonight, like, we're recording this, and, and in about an hour and a half, the Miami game is supposed to kick off. I don't think that's going to be canceled. Um, Louisiana Lafayette's playing Iowa State. It's like an early game. Um, West Virginia's playing Eastern Kentucky. Syracuse and North Carolina. Kansas State and Arkansas State are on like the big noon kickoff because some other game got canceled. I don't think they're going to cancel that. Um, Duke. No Notre Dame and Duke, I think they're going to go through. You're going to pick that one? It's going to get canceled. Canceled. I think I'm going to go... Like, see, I think the two Power 5 teams won't get canceled. Clemson, Wake Forest. It's going to be something more like Oklahoma, Missouri State. You know, like, what the hell is a Missouri no, State? No, that's their um, $55 pay-per-view game. They're not canceling that. Okay. Um, UTEP, Texas. I don't think anyone wants to... What is an HBU against Texas Tech? Don't know. Maybe I'll do that one. It's there a later go. game. It's a later game. I'll go HBU Texas Tech. All right. But there was a bunch. So, yeah, like the Fox Big Noon kickoff. They First of all, they had a Friday game on FS1 that got canceled. And then they, their Big Noon kickoff game, I forget who it was, um, that got canceled. And so then they had to move uh, whatever it was, the game I said before. Um, yeah, so they had to move that game up. Uh, it was a Kansas State, Arkansas State. So they're, I, Arkansas State's getting a lot of TV time by the way, are the state of Arkansas is doing really well early on this pandemic. Um, yeah, but I think Duke, North Carolina, I mean, I mean, I'm sorry, Duke, uh, Notre Dame is going to happen. They're playing at, you know, Notre Dame stadium. I just, I feel like that's going to go through. Nope. Sorry. I already picked it. It's not happening. All right. It's, it's done deal. And you know, I'm always right. Uh, yeah. Never been sure. wrong before on this show. Never. Not once. Uh, all right. Certainly not recently. You've, yeah. Certainly not not about anything pandemic related. Certainly not about anything related to the college football schedule. Never wrong. No. Not once. No. All right. This is from Alex from Arcadia. Deep thoughts. All right, guys. So I've been wondering this. Why are people so pissed at having winter spring football? If three other conferences make it through their seasons, if they do, doesn't the idea of having one season end and another begin sound awesome for football fans? Yeah, that's what we're saying. Exactly. Yeah. That could be really cool and fun. Uh, one other thing. If someone from the SEC sees that they aren't part of the two deep and they try to transfer to the Pac-12 or Big Ten, could they potentially play in the spring? Obviously, they'd have to be ruled eligible, but that seems like it's getting easier these days. Anyway, thanks for the time. Thanks for helping me get through my commute. And Dave, thanks for letting Ryan do it all. Stay safe, boys. 
Yeah, uh, but, yeah, that'd be interesting. If, they, but I think it would only work if they sat out, right? I think they, if they played, like you get everyone gets that bonus year, but I don't think you can use it twice. Like that's essentially you can't play twenty twenty twice for two different teams. Um, so yeah, I, th- I think you could play in twenty twenty one, especially if you're like a grad transfer. But if it was a guy that maybe got hurt uh, before the season started, or they had COVID and they were sitting out. And they missed most of the season, and, and the Pac-12 announces they're going to have a season in the spring, and that player sees an opportunity. They could maybe not play and transfer and play um, you know, for the other school. Now, but you have to line up with like the semesters, the trimesters, everything, right? You can't just like – it's not about the season, too. It's about the academic year also. So it might be easier if the Pac-12 was, say, starting in January versus starting in uh, – November or December, um, maybe December would be easier. But like, as if it's the you know end of a semester or the start of a new one, I think it would be easier to transfer as well. Yeah, you have to think of the academic side of things too. That's what I always do. That's what I always spend my time doing. No, you do not. Um, all right. Well, that's I it. Think that's it. We're done. Very good. A brisk uh, well, David. Know, hour and forty-five minutes. It was there was there was some length to that one. There were some long, long emails and a lot of stuff to talk about. So uh, I'm going to watch some college football this weekend. David will not, but hopefully you guys all get to to watch some and give us your thoughts on uh, what you saw. Like, does it work? Does it not work? Uh, are you going to be more optimistic that the Pac-12 can play or not? Uh, we are curious of what you have to say and let us know. All right. Well, and with that, great. Let's wrap. Let's wrap it up. Uh, I'm Ryan Abraham. That's David Woods. And we are the Podcast of Champions. Thanks so much for tuning in, and we will talk to you next time. Bye. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.